the millennial generation is the most shackled, the most disenfranchised and unserved by higher education than any generation previously. And we know that they are paying the ultimate price. They have degrees that cost more than their market value. They're, they're questioning um, this system that has shackled them and they have no job prospects. We can't continue this. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikkel Kraszowski, and welcome to episode 128 of That Remote Life podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Abby Brody, the founder of The Mix, a higher education alternative to the regular four-year college that combines online and experiential learning to create transformative experiences that shape confident, purposeful, and life-ready graduates. Now, I first heard about Abby and The Mix from Gary Vaynerchuk, who is actually one of their investors. And after hearing about all of the cool things they are doing, I had to have Abby on the podcast because The Mix could very well be the university of choice for aspiring digital nomads and entrepreneurs. You guys, you will learn three really important things from this conversation. Number one, why the current study for four years in your good-to-go education model does not work for the job market and economy of the future. Number two, what data tells us about studying abroad and why it might be one of the most important things you do as a college student and how the mix makes travel a core part of their education model. And finally, number three, the how the mix tailors its curriculum and teaching style to help their students become more entrepreneurial. I also want to thank Abby for providing you guys, the listeners of the show, with an incredible offer. If you or someone you know is interested in becoming a student at The Mix, then make sure you mention That Remote Life podcast in your application because you will receive $500 off of your tuition. I'm so incredibly thankful to Abby for that offer. They really are building something amazing over there at The Mix. And while I know that many of you guys are not college age and are probably past higher education, Perhaps you know someone in your life who is in high school and deciding what to do next. If so, make sure that you share this episode with them because at the very least, it's always good to know what other alternatives are out there so they can make the best decision possible for them. Also, you guys, before we jump into the interview, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel, which you can find a link to in the show notes for this episode if you haven't done so already. I publish every podcast interview there in video form, and I also release original content every Monday and Friday about the digital nomad lifestyle, remote work, and online business that you can only find there on YouTube. To subscribe, just click on the link in the show notes or search for my full name, Mitko Karshovsky. Finally, I would love to hear what you think about this podcast. I've made it very easy to leave a review. 
All you have to do is just head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL and write your review. That's it. It's that easy. If you're enjoying this podcast, leaving a review is one of the best ways to support us. Reviews are a key statistic that podcasting apps look at in order to determine how to rank a podcast. So your review will directly help us climb the rank boards and attract new listeners. So Thank you in advance for leaving a review if you choose to do so. And thank you so much for joining me over on YouTube. But all right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this awesome conversation with Abby Brody. All right, Abby, welcome to the show. Uh, Like we mentioned before we hit record, I am so excited to have you on. Uh, We're going to talk all about education and what you are doing with your company, The Mix. Um, I heard about you guys on YouTube, and I was immediately like, we need to talk. I need to have you on the podcast because uh, we have a lot to talk about. Um, To start off, I want to find out, you have um, a big background in education. You've been doing that for forever. And uh, like you were telling me earlier, you started it in K through 12. And I'm just really interested in you know, to start off, what made you want to tackle changing higher education? Because I feel like this is something that a lot of people have said, like, hey, you know, somebody should really work on this and like change the way that it works because it doesn't seem to be working. But it's such a big challenge that, you know, nobody wants to raise their hand and be the person to do it. So what made you want to, you know, do this after your uh, experience with K-12? That is a really good question. And sometimes I question it myself because it is the ultimate challenge. We know that the system in the United States is failing the majority of students walking in. And why from K-12, so most of my career was in K-12, and I was, I'm an educator, a researcher, and really also a futurist, which is a really unique background for educators. Educators usually study the past to inform the now. I always look for future bound to inform the now. And I have a unique perspective. I do believe that the future is going to look very different than today, and it's happening really fast. You know, the fact of the matter is that the class of 2020 will have 11 distinct jobs by the time they're 50 years old. That you is, mean in the in the time that they're going to have in their career, they're going to have 11 different jobs? By the time they're 50, half of mm-hmm. which do not exist most likely today. So the whole concept of front-loading education is really what inspired me. So front-loading education is the idea that you do school, 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 and then you're set for life, right? Learning all happens in these first years, and then you don't need any learning because you've invested $200,000 or so, and you have every skill that you need. And that narrative is flawed in so many ways, but I would say it's really criminal because we know the future economy and the future work is not going to work like that. So to tell students that they should go all in and one, make decisions that as you and I talked about previously, they're not prepared to. I'm an expert on K-12. I built K-12 schools around the world. There is nothing about a K-12 education that gives you any information to even know what to major in. None, zero. Mm -hmm. So I left K-12 and started a think tank on really studying where is, what is the ROI? What's the return investment on higher education? And where are the gaps between life and schooling? And that led me really to focusing on higher education, because unless higher education changes, K-12 can't change because that feeds into this system and it's one big conveyor belt. So how is K-12 valued by what colleges kids get into? 
Without changing the college system, we cannot change the K-12. So I had to leave K-12, which is truly my home. I loved working at that age. But this is the place where we cannot let Gen Z fall in the same steps as the millennial generation. The millennial generation is the most shackled, the most disenfranchised and unserved by higher education than any generation previously. And we know that they are paying the ultimate price. They have degrees that cost more than their market value. They're they're questioning um, this system that has shackled them and they have no job prospects. We can't continue this. Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's and I'm very happy to hear you say that, you know, people's jobs are going to be changing a lot, you know, during their career, because it's something that I tell people all the time that the most important skill, in my opinion, that you can learn when you're, you know, between the age of 18 to 21 or whatever, is learning how to learn. Because like you're saying, statistically speaking, jobs are going to be coming and they're going to be going and you need to figure out how to relearn and actually like almost restart your career because like you said some of the things that you're going to be doing in your career don't exist yet right like when I dropped out of college uh to go do whatever it was that I was doing at the time I had no idea that I'd be doing what I'm doing now because in many ways it didn't exist uh and I I mean I always think about this with uh my wife and I went to the same college and I dropped out. She continued. She's a better student than I am. And she finished school. But one of the things was I had, I was already starting to work online and had some social media experience. And she was taking a social media marketing course. And she said that her uh, her professor was in her late 60s, did mm-hmm. not have social media, was not a social media user, and was just basically reading things out of a textbook. And this class probably cost thousands of dollars for her. And to me, I I really think that colleges today are not in any way connected with like what the reality of business looks like today and and moving forward. We know that you're 100% correct on that. So 89% of hiring managers do not believe that any of their college graduate hires are work ready. It takes them 18 months to unlock that potential. So Let's go back a little in history to to unpack why that is. So the college institutions were never created to make you job ready. That was not their purpose. That's not their mandate. If you look at their mission statements, there's none that says we exist to get you to your next place. That's not their goal. That's not their mission. That said, that's what the consumer is looking for. That's what the parent's looking for. And we have a real disconnect between the exit, the employer, and the consumer. 92% of people, when polled, why do you go to college to get a job? That's the majority. But colleges are not set up to get you a job, nor do they speak to the future. And there are many jobs that would be better served, taught uh, in a different way. For example, why I'm so passionate about remote life and remote schooling is not only do I think it's an option that's exciting and can bring down costs and can allow you to see the world and all those things, it's actually, educationally speaking, a better choice. There is nothing. So in, in college, you spend tens of thousands of dollars for 8% curated time. 8% of your college time is spent in the classroom. So you're spending tens of thousands of dollars or 8% of curated intentional content, that which is produced and, and, and expressed to you by a methodology that we know has no link to how people learn. Professor gets up. They lecture, you go back to your dorm room, you do the problem sets, you come back, you lecture, there's a test, there's a paper. You will recall 
20 years after graduation of all that content, less than single digits, more like 2% of that content. We know that graduates who graduate from college, 73% of them never use their degree of study. The 92% that is on the table is actually what matters. So when you talk about what matters about higher ed, what is the thing that really is a return on investment, which I studied? And this is hard for me to say because I'm an educator. I write content. I create content. Content doesn't matter at all. It's truly at networks, access, incubating amongst peers, living on your own, finding your purpose. The college experience is truly the most important piece of the higher education. And it's, it's hard to say out loud, right? As educators, we feel like we are, you know, the, the, the sage on the stage. We have knowledge. We give it to you. You have to write it down. But now you can Google that, okay? And content with online has become almost free. And now you don't have to go to your community college, but you can be taught from the best in the business, the actual masters of it. Let's talk about social media for a second, because that one's really interesting very much a rising job, lots of demand for it. When we talk to social media hiring managers, people who are looking for social media, do they care about a college degree? They wanna see your content, they wanna see your followers, all of that matters. So at the mix, we have about a good handful of students actually taking social media and living with us. So these students, what we've done is we've worked with them and curated the best of the best in social media skills through online ed. So students at the mix are taking not only the class of Northwestern on, on social media, the Wharton class on social media, the best of marketing out there, they're also getting the Facebook certification. Who are we to say that we, who knows more about social media than Facebook? In addition, some of our students are taking classes from the University of Sydney on social media ethics. Shockingly or not shockingly, we couldn't find a course on social media ethics in the United States. We had to go internationally. So when students say, what's the best university for me? We've got to stop that. All of them. We are at a totally new age of education. You do not need the traditional requirements, four years, which really on average takes six years. Of all this content, when we know that you can curate from the best of the world, create personalized learning lists, which by the way, can include YouTube and videos that are free. Content is exploding and real masters and experts in the field are uploading their thoughts and knowledge. And you should leverage that. Make the content near to nothing and put your money where it matters, which is the experience. We know that people don't learn through lectures. So the mix, what is essential to our secret and how we are revolutionizing education is saying what no one will say out loud. Content doesn't matter. You can get your content anywhere. But how you apply it and having real world opportunities to live and see the real world, because how people learn is not passive. It is through action. If you look at the history of education, apprenticeships have the number one outcomes. So we need to move education to what we know about the cognitive sciences and embrace and say out loud, which is scary to institutions, the experience really matters. And Greek life is not a solution. Uh, that is not enough. We should be on college campuses, getting students out in the field. And that's what the mix is all about. 
Yeah, I, I love what you said there about the experience because that's like for me with my business at Parable, like that is one of our core things is that it doesn't matter how much you know if you don't know how to deploy that knowledge, right? So we've seen this boom in courses that teach you everything from A to Z, yet we also have way more people than ever before that are that are like, you know, taking in all this like education porn in a way, but like in no way do they actually like go out there and do it and and part of that is the experience. It is taking the action. Um, and, I, and I totally agree with you that so much of the education now about so many of these topics are online. They're on YouTube. They're on Google. But one of the things that I think is hard is that college, in a way, gives students this like verified badge, in a way, that like job seekers look for. So how do you create that experience for your students if it's not the regular college experience? How do you take the fact that they've seen the best videos on YouTube from the best social media experts and how do you essentially certify that they know what they're talking about so that then companies can hire them? So key to our thesis is that the whole idea of four years, right, that's a magical number. Let's just, if I said to you, Miko, that I could give you a hair product that can make your hair grow also shorten itself, get curly, straight, frizzy, whatever it is, it's the same price and it only takes two drops, no matter what the outcome you're looking for. You say, that is the most absurd thing I've ever heard. But yet, if I tell you that I have an institution that can make you a doctor, a physicist, an actor, a writer, a historian, and it takes four years, no matter what you want to do, and the price is the same, even though you, actor, have one twentieth of the earning potential of the person to your left. And you will be in debt from this experience, but this is the only way it can be done. It is absurd. So what we at the mix say is education needs to reflect the actual outcomes of the other side. Students need to know what they're getting and what's at the other end. And that, that in the middle, will what it takes to get there will be individually different for different outcomes. I mean, that's just the way life is. We need to bring that to education. So at the mix, some students will be doing a degree program. For example, one of our students wants to be a nurse. You need a degree at this point in time. Now, things are changing rapidly, so I do want to put an asterisk on that. You need a degree to become a traveling nurse. That's what she wants to do. Put an asterisk on it because there's a lot of things that you need a degree for that no longer you do, especially in the tech space, right? Google certificates. IBM has certifications. Goldman Sachs is creating certifications. We're seeing more and more employers saying, we can't find the talent. We're not getting what we need. We're going to create our own certification system. So we're seeing the, the four-year degree is absolutely in question, not for all vocations. So at the mix, students get to curate their education and get what they need. So if you are a want to be a traveling nurse, you do need a four-year degree. Now, what we would what I say to this student is you could get that degree at a traditional higher education institution. You can. Um, or you can get your degree at the mix. What we bring that the traditional education system does not is one, the experiential side. So the student will be getting apprenticeship opportunities in the field. They will not also not be incubated on a quad. Now, college campuses to actually survive are usually in the middle of nowhere. 
right? They're in the outskirts of cities. They Usually cities rely on them for their economy. There are huge pieces of institutions. I went to Duke University. Durham is Duke, right? We are one of the biggest profit makers for that, that town. They do that to survive, and they're very thoughtful on actually creating walls around it. They need student spending power, okay? They are created to make sure students eat there, buy there, do everything there to financially survive. We have a very different model. We believe that students should have cities to be incubated. These are artificial places with food plans. It is not shocking to me that we're seeing such an issue with people being life ready. The college graduates aren't able to sign, for example, their first lease agreement because they don't have basic contract law or they don't have the life skills of financial literacy. All those things are lacking in higher ed. So we believe that students being incubated in real communities where they're being saturated by different perspectives and meeting real people, not just other students, has huge value. And I, the question is debatable. What has more value? A CV, a, a piece of paper that says, I have a diploma from the University of Syracuse, not, not picking on Syracuse, just came to my name at first. I have a marketing degree from the University of Syracuse versus I have a marketing certification from Morton. Okay. I have, and here's six examples of real jobs I have done in different locations around the world. Which one to an employer is more interesting? Which one allows the employer to actually make an educated decision versus a piece of paper? I don't know. I am just the hiring manager. I don't know what the classes of a marketing degree at Syracuse is, or even if they're good or what they were taught or how they did. But I do know this is the student's social media campaign for an NGO in Costa Rica targeting senior citizens to come to the Butterfly Conservatory. And I can look at their work and have an educated uh, decision. And we think this has incredible value. The four-year degree is in question. We're not the only ones. Uh, you know, MIT, Harvard launching the micro degree. Australia going completely into stackable uh, credentials. Uh, ASU very much going to stackable credentials way. We are seeing universities. We are not the only ones knowing it's broken. They're very aware. And they are also coming up with clever ways to rethink the four-year degree because it clearly is not working for most vocations. So... Tell me more about the mix, because we've sort of talked about it, but we haven't necessarily addressed exactly what it is. And also, you know, in if you can also address why it is, and you've kind of touched on it already, but why is it that you're going in such a global direction with it? Because I saw a three-year plan on your guys' website about wanting to have such a whole bunch of locations that students can go choose to learn. Uh at, which to me, I kind of wish I was in high school again and I could go be part of the mix. <laughs> but, but tell me more about the mix and then why decide to have all these locations all over the world? Yeah. So we are a data-focused and informed uh, group of educators. And we spent the last three and a half years studying the ROI of higher ed and finding what really matters. And as I told you, it was really shocking to learn that content majors don't matter and actually who your roommate's father is has more of an impact on your future than your major choice. And these were hard swills, pills to swallow. Um, but one of the most interesting that we, uh, findings that we found of academic interventions, how do we get a student from here to there? And we looked at all different models. Some schools are moving to one-on-one -on -one tutoring, offering students one-to-one -one tutoring, a huge heavy lift. 
But the number one thing that can move a needle, not just in getting a job, being successful, but actually when you look at students' definition of life purpose, feeling meaningful are students who go abroad. It is remarkable. Gap year students and students who go abroad outperform their peers by more than two standard deviations. There is no academic intervention that can get close to that return. Now that return- Do we know why? Like, does the data show us to like why that's the case or is it just like a, we don't know? It just seems to work that way. So we, we, so there's a few, we have inferences. So one of the things that it shows is these students test higher on empathy. They're more likely to uh, stick with their major. They're less likely to transfer. They're more likely to get a job. They feel more in tune with their studies. They have more purpose. All these things have been self-reported. But I have my own personal theory. And at Mix, we, we, we have a saying that says, you can't be found until you're lost. You have to be lost to be found. And I find this so true. And I bet all your listeners who are digital nomads really understand this, that there's something transformative about travel. What that is, I bet everyone of your listeners could say something different, right? Like, what is it? But I personally believe it is that, like, being taken out of the norm, seeing life through a different perspective and in one of an exploration, because you don't know all the answers. You don't know which way the railroad track is or how you get to that restaurant. You don't know. And it puts you in a mindset of learning how to learn. That mindset we work so hard to try to get in a lecture that is not conducive to that mindset. So students at the mix are their campus and their textbook is the cities we reside in. And it allows them to learn how to learn um, in a way that expedites learning and shoots them off. In a, and, and they have stories worth telling. I have to say that a gap year student, a study abroad student, when they go interview, they have exciting things to share and a mindset that really brings them to another level compared to the other candidates. So yeah, I've, about the mix. Oh, sorry. I've had I've had people talk about how like they're really scared of having like gaps in their like resume and like being afraid of like be, like people asking them like well what did you do in these two years and like people are afraid to say travel and I'm always like that person is going to be so much more interested in what you did how you did why you did it how did you figure out to travel for two years and what did you learn than like oh I went and I took this course or whatever like people need to like not be afraid of that and not to look down on it because you can learn a lot you know and i want to double down on that just research fact behind it a gap a student with the same exact resume versus a gap year student with the same exact resume the gap year student will get the job hands down we know that second languages as well I mean, that is a huge reason to travel, that it will 100% put you over the edge on a job interview, having another language versus your candidate. So it is a fact. And that's why I'm doubling down. Not only is being a digital student a possibility now, and I would argue allows you access to education you normally couldn't get. You too can go to- And opportunities. Yeah. You too can go to the University of Sydney. You can be taught by the expert in the field. Wow. First, the, the intro to marketing class at Warren is better than the intro to marketing class at your community college. That's just fact. So you should feel empowered by the access and quality that you have. And then let's say something out loud. The experience actually matters of college. So to say that we can all just go online and everything's fine and kumbaya and we did well by this generation is, is not the solution. Students do, one, parents don't want their kids in their basements. <laughs> 
I get it. I'm a parent. I do not want my child studying in my basement. And two, it's a real disservice. The incubation time of college of leaving the home and being amongst a group of peers going through the same time and developmental process has huge developmental benefits. Now, what colleges don't do well is the experience. That is not what their mandate is. They put they work on that 8% curated content. Professors are not hanging out with students after doing projects with them. They're doing their research. It is a very old school model. It is really too big to pivot. They're having a very hard time, especially because they're not physically set up for that. We know that the future is interdisciplinary. The skills of tomorrow will require you to go to 11 distinct jobs. But what do what are universities? There's a physics building. There's a humanities building. And they're completely separated with different staff, different rules, different requirements. There is no holistic way to bring these together. And it's going to take the universities a really long time. Uh, and that's why mix we're at a real advantage. We're able to leverage the online revolution. So let me tell you what it's like to be a mixed student so you can get a taste of this. So the first thing that we say to I mixed I have students, too much FOMO. I don't know if I want to hear this. I know. I want to go back <laughs> as a student myself. Trust me. I, I try to get on campus as much as possible and live vicariously. Uh, but as a mixed student, the first thing that we have to like tell you is this is your journey. Okay? And the first thing we say to all students is it's okay not to know what you want to do. We actually encourage that. And if you think you know what you want to do, statistically speaking, you're most likely wrong. <laughs> because we know that all these kids who pick majors, majority of them never go into that field of study. Right? So the first thing is you get to curate your education. So you'll sit down with myself or anyone else on the education team, and we're going to just sit and talk about what interests you, what classes you liked and why. And we're gonna create a personalized playlist. Think of it like iTunes. Think about your your uh, your podcast playlist, like the things that you follow and pull in. And these are gonna be college credit courses. You are going to get started on your college, but in a really low risk, high reward way. So that social media manager playlist that I just uh, spoke about earlier is $400. $400. You're going to Wharton, Northwestern, University of Sydney, Facebook, Yale. I think that's, there's one more, UC Davis, I believe. And it is $400. And you get to guess what? Find out if you like this before investing tens of thousands of dollars if you decide to do an online degree. So students come to us, we create personalized experiences. And already our research is showing that this is going to have better benefits because guess what's missing from much of learning? The why. When you tell students they have to take that freshman seminar, and I believe this has a lot to do with probably your experience as well, you couldn't understand the reasoning or what the purpose of these classes were, were for, for your individualized journey. And that's really important. So that that is so finishing, getting those things done will be more likely because they have skin in the game and they have interests. Now, something that needs to be said out loud is that online not only doesn't solve everything because of the fact that you're isolated and all those things, but also online is very hard to do alone. You know, so in-person has a 51%, remember 49% of people who go in person drop out or fail out, right? So online is in the teens of success. Online alone, it's very hard. It's isolating. And what we know about learning, it's a social experience. You have to learn by doing. So it makes all these online learners come together in these communities of one. And we're only 150 kids on a campus. 
Every person knows each other's name. Okay. We are very passionate about this and spend a lot of time on should we go big? Should we go small? And our research shows the benefits of small outweigh in so many ways and solves so many issues. Number one being that the mental health crisis on campus, 79% of students are having a mental health rate. That was pre-COVID. What it looks like this year and next year will be interesting to see how that changes. In addition, college campuses are the most segregated communities in the United States, self-segregated. Yeah. I, I live on NYU. And I, I literally live next to a dorm and it's like clockwork. Walk out the group of, you know, African-American females, walk out the group of the Asian, Asian group, walk out the group. It is totally clicked off. And I understand that. And we've dug deep into why they're completely put into a new setting for the first time. And what do you do? You go towards what feels safe because they're 18. And what's easy to connect with others. Yeah, it's easy. When you get to what that happens, whenever there is a group of people over, it's about 150, it's called Dumber's Ratio. And we've studied that deeply. And so these are things we're really passionate about solving, creating communities where you have support, where you feel connected and everyone knows your name. That's very essential. So then on site, all the students, what we do is we do what colleges don't do well. Okay. The number one thing is actual best practice in learning. So every student at the mix is doing online learning but they are doing a project with a learning mentor in the field, in real world, where they have to apply their learning. Because learning in isolation means nothing. You regurgitate, you take the test. Two weeks later, statistically speaking, two weeks later after you take that test, 70% of that content is gone. Gone. All that, gone. All that class, all that money, tens of thousands, gone. So what we do is we take that learning and we apply it immediately. Not only so students can master it and actually take that learning and have it for real life, but two, to see if they like it. Try it on. What is a, a, a space in, in tech? And do I like the culture of tech? Because the real issue is most students come sophomore year, come to a point where they decide they hate their major. Okay, from our from our interviews. And when we say, so are you going to switch majors? Oh, no, 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 it's too late. Sunken cost fallacy. Is You're too far late. along, yeah. Too far mm -hmm. along. I'd have to spend more money. I don't have the money or the time. Too far along, I'll just continue going. And that's so depressing to me to hear. And we have to create flexible ecosystems that allow students to make informed choices and try things on. So every student is doing an in-person project. And every Wednesday at the mix is PBL days, which is project-based learning. And the and for example, our students in Miami just uh, yesterday were in Wynwood and learning about artistic expression. We use, we teach the Stanford Design Thinking course on site live, and students are walking through all the ways to break down problems and those fundamental critical thinking skills. And one of those things was creative expression. And they went to Wynwood Walls in Miami, and then they got to create the graffiti art. So it is about like doing and being in and meeting these cultures. In addition. Part of the mix experiences, every student has a one-to-one -one life coach. Purpose development is lacking in higher ed. As I told, said to you, there's nothing about a K-12 experience that tells you what a public, public policy major is and why you'd be good at. Nothing. How to expect them to pick a major is a really unfair expectation. So students at mix get a one-to-one -one advocate where they walk away with a purpose plan, where they can talk, you know, the fact that life coaches are for 40, 40 year olds having midlife crises, crises is, it's too late. This is the time people need life coaching. And what we've learned is this one shoe fits all freshman 
college experience where you have requirements, you go from here to there, you shuffle there, doesn't work. It only works for 14% of who walk in or successfully served from our research. So we need to find ways to personalize it. So not only are they on their own personalized playlist, they have a personal life coach. Then we're really also very passionate about the gaps between um, real life and schooling and all the things that are essential but never taught. So on site, the students have a hashtag adulting course where they learn literacy, uh, financial literacy, basic contract law. So they can sign that lease agreement. Taxes, insurance, how to change a tire, how to cook, how to use technology resources to organize your life. All these things we teach through experiential ed, doing projects with the students. And they all live in vibing communities. Our campuses are in the middle of like Miami, where they're, they're, um, our campus is a lot of housing. We have a pool. Like it's, it's, it's campus life remixed, you know? So that's why we're called mixed, by the way. We have taken the best of research, the best of higher ed, and we've remixed it to bring down costs and allow students to experience their education. And part of that is traveling and getting lost and each semester being in a new place to do new projects and finding your voice. So people might be thinking like right now, this all sounds great. And I mean, like I'm saying, if I was in high school right now and I'm hearing this, I would definitely want to go do the mix. But one of the issues I think is that the system is kind of set up to like feed itself in a way where I'm immediately thinking, you know, I come from, uh, you know, an, an immigrant background and my immediate thought is how do I pay for this? Right? Like I had to go out there and take loans. And if I were to go and say, Hey, I'm going to the school, that's kind of a different, the, the loan system I feel like is set up for the regular, you know, like higher education, like a bank will give a stamp on, you know, a regular college, no questions asked, doesn't matter how many, you know, how expensive it is, et cetera, et cetera. How are people funding this uh, as students? And are like, can you still take out loans in order to come and then be a mixed student? Yeah, you, you really, that's a really good question. And you've hit it on the nail. You know, a student can take out tens of thousands of dollars alone with really a click of a button to go to their local community college that has a 14% success rate in graduation, 14% graduate. Or hundreds yeah, of thousands of dollars at a larger college with no idea of what you're going to do next. Yeah. Right. So, you know, of that 49% that never graduate, 70% of them walk away with debt. Right. No college degree. I'm one of them. Yeah. So one way, there's two different ways to answer this question. One, you can take out loans. You could always take out personal loans. But we also are very passionate about income share agreements. We bet on our students. We believe our students will outperform Harvard, Yale, Princeton, because our students are getting the credentials check. Right. But also getting the life experience and the experience to do the job and hit the ground running. We believe our model will create better employed both uh, students. So we do bet on our students. So a student can come depending on their uh, the course they're making and they can come for free and then they pay us after they're getting their job, after they have money, after they've been- And is that job. a percentage or does it like start afterwards? It starts like a percentage of their only till they're making a certain amount of money. I think it's, it depends on the vocation they've chosen, but it is so that, and they, if they never get a job, they never have to pay type of thing. So we're taking a bet on these students. We're also really passionate about, so ISAs is another way that educators are making money. 
We are not making money off of our ISAs. We believe content should be. What are ISAs? So uh, income share agreements. A lot of schools are moving this model. Um, but they, it's a way to actually grab revenue because you charge crazy interest. We are not doing that. We're really passionate about that. Um, we do, we believe the experiential side is the most important. So content to us is something we never want to make a lot of money off of. That is not what we do. But I would challenge, one, not every job requires a four-year degree, okay? Mm-hmm. And at Mix, you can go as fast as you want. So by going online, you're able to move faster and save money in regards to time, okay? You will need less semesters, things like that. You know, the average stay at Mix is about three semesters. So, and our costs, our tuition, which really covers room and board, you know, all the experiential piece, the life coaching, the the adulting courses, the going and experience your education, living in these vibing communities with faculty who know your name. You know, every Thursday we have dinner together. It is truly about community and networking and access. We know that's what matters. These friendships matter just as much as their degree. Um, So our costs, our tuition is about $8,000. Now, room and board, a is semester, per semester or per semester, per semester. So at a four year institution, room and board is about seventy five hundred dollars on top of tuition. What do you get a room in a big building with maybe cinder blocks with your bed on it? Like what value are you getting in the middle mm-hmm. of a college town? Right. In this artificial place that's supposed to launch you into the real world. You know, I always say um, I had, after I dropped out was really when I first, for the first time, I looked at like what I was paying and what I was paying for, because, you know, before that it was like, I'm going to college. It's going to be great. Everything's going to turn out awesome. And I remember seeing a bill on there that was $1,800 for the ability to have meal plan. So that wasn't $1,800 going for me to be spending on food. It was for the ability for me to have meal plan, which was a plastic card, right? And to me, that was just one of the biggest, like, what in, like, who thought this was okay or who made this legal, you know? Yeah. And they, they've really gotten away with criminal activity. One, they require it. Now, the model of higher education is broken for the student, but for most institutions, it's broken as well. We will see a huge collapse and uh, acquisition and just a, const- a, constri- a constriction in the education market. Basic supply and demand. We have more colleges than students. People are having less children. Why do we have so many colleges? Because it was a moneymaker for a really long time. And they have a captive audience. And as I said, they do whatever they can to keep you because they need your spending dollars to really make ends meet. The, the, the model, the physical asset model of the campus is absolutely an obsolete and non-functioning model, unless you are one of the big schools with these huge endowments. But still, how do you, how do you talk to the parents? Because I think that that's one of the, the big hurdles as well is like, it's one thing to, I think, convince the students who I think are going to be far more open to this messaging. They kind of see the writing on the wall. In their gut, they know what's happening, and they're also far more likely to want to do this experience. But I think in from my personal experience, um, not necessarily my parents, because my parents, I'm somehow a freak of nature, and I have very supportive parents who are like, yeah, like that's fine, like we understand. But it was interesting seeing the rest of the adults in my life kind of essentially saying like, 
this is not a good decision. You're going to regret dropping out of college. You need a you need a degree. Why don't you just go in there and kind of like struggle through it and get the degree and so on and so forth. And I feel like that might be one of the big hurdles as well. So what do you say to parents or how do you, what would you tell a kid, a high school kid who's listening right now, what would you tell them to tell their parents um, in terms of, you know, letting them go through something like this instead of a four-year degree? Yeah, this is a challenge, right? Because when it comes to education, we all can talk about it, right? Like I'm in a field that everyone has an opinion on because we're all a product of it. Even if just high school, you've experienced education and you want the same for your own kid. We tend to want the like for like, I went to Wisconsin, my kid's going to go to Wisconsin, all those things. So it is a challenge to break down these constructs and question. What I say to parents and Honestly, we're seeing more and more parents. So from the recent Gallup poll, I'm going to mess up the numbers, but somewhere in the 40s, 60s, uh, 40s, most parents value experience more than content in class. We are seeing that parents, when pushed and asked, like, what is more important for my child to get? Experience is really rising up there. Parents are seeing the value that. And what we're also seeing is that millennials are the next parents of the incoming freshmen in college. And they are very disenfranchised, very much questioning it. But here's what my advice would be to a student who wants to bring this to their parents. College works for some, just not the majority. And unfortunately, we've been fed a narrative of this is the only way and this is the only path. That is no longer the case. So I always, I root myself in numbers. I'm a numbers person. So I would say this to a parent. Only 14% are successfully served. And you could probably guess where those 14% went. The top 60 schools, if you get into them, you should go. I'm the first to tell you. Um, it has network. The experience side is why. not Content. Remember, I think you can get great content from anywhere. But the experience side of the networks and access you will gain from that is worth its value. So I just want to say that there are certain schools that have that ROI very strong. Nothing to do with the professors or the time in class and the major you made, but actually being surrounded by these people and being able to leverage their names has huge value. So of the 14%, so let's talk about who isn't served. So 49% never graduate, right? Never graduate, but 70% of them will walk out of debt. But of those that do, let's talk about those, the success. 50% of them will make less than $26,000 seven years post-graduation. They'll be struggling with debt. We are at an inflection point. The degree keeps going like this. Wages have remained stagnant. We are at an inflection point. So that is something to really discuss, especially considering what you want to be. If you want to be a teacher, for example, as someone who's hired, hundreds of teachers. We are, why are, why do we have a teacher shortage? Well, for many reasons, one of them being, why would you become a teacher when you know that your degree costs way more than its market value? Not only are you going to one of the toughest jobs that's, you know, doesn't get the recognition it deserves. I could go on and on about this, but you've been set up for failure by your own system that you believe in. You care about education. So these are some of the things. And then of those that do graduate, right? And aren't in, and have a degree, they're not even using it. So 41% do go into a vocation that does not require one full stop. 
right? So you've done all this year, all this time when you could have gone a different and more direct pathway that would have put you in debt. And then 73% of those aren't using their degree of study. I'm just curious, Nick, what was your major before you dropped out? Biotechnology and microbiology. There you go. And another example for you. And, and that, and, and you rightfully so thought, oh, that would be interesting. You never got to try on things or experiment. And wouldn't it have been incredible if you could have tried on and tested all these things out in a very low cost, low risk, also exploration, travel, finding your voice, getting life coaching, all those things to then maybe decide that, oh yeah, biotech is where I'm going and I'm going to go to the best school or I'm going to go online and continue at the mix. We need to allow choice back into education. So I think when you go to parents saying, this is an informed decision based off of the actual research and knowledge of what I know of an institutional pathway, I think that's a very strong place to come from. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think like it's interesting because the reason why I went into biotech was because I got into a program in high school that gave me some of that choice. And uh, it was an amazing teacher. And I always give him a shout out whenever possible, Jamie Allison over at Loveland High School, just an incredible teacher. And he, it was a two-year program. And the first year you learned a lot of things. And then the second year, it was like a free year where you could go use what you learned to build a project, do something. And it was entrepreneurial. You know, my senior year was entrepreneurship 101. It was, hey, here's a problem. Come up with a hypothesis on how to solve it and then go out there and do something. And so I went to college and I went to do biotech went into the first biotech class when I was like, I really hate this because it was missing the entrepreneurial part of it that I really, really liked. And so in some ways, even going through that, I, now looking back, of course, it's a lot easier to connect the dots. But uh, without that experience, I don't know if I would have figured things out as quickly as I did. Of course, it doesn't feel quick. But um, and with kind of going in this direction, I do want to wrap up with one of the really important questions for me personally. And that's that I truly believe that not only are entrepreneurial skills uh, really, really important for people, but it's also the future of employment, uh, the way that I see it. I mean, at least from my point of view, more and more companies don't want to hire full time. Uh, more and more people, uh, more and more companies are going to be outsourcing, looking for freelancers that are they're going to be automating more and more jobs. And so the way that I see it, and people are probably sick and tired of hearing about this on the podcast, but the regular job is being squeezed from two ends. And so I do believe that the future economy is going to be even more built on top of entrepreneurship and freelancing. So how do you at the mix educate with that in mind? How do you help? You mentioned that a lot of the people who are going to the mix are people who want to be entrepreneurial later on. So how do you educate for that? Yeah. So you, very much like your teacher. What was her name? Jamie. I want to give her a shout out too. Her name, Jamie Allison. Yeah. Jamie name, Allison. Yeah. Just like Jamie, we employ exactly what she did for you. I mean, I, you just lit up and that just, that just seconds the importance of educators and being able to push students and let them build, let them do, not just talk at them that's not how we learn. So that is the core of what we do. That's all we do is those fundamental skills that will allow them to bounce between those 11 distinct jobs with ease and have the resilience and the skills to do that. And I include resilience because the future is very anxiety provoking. It's not as settled as our parents had it 
where they work their way up the ladder and they add that 401k and that we're going to a very uncertain world. Um, it'll have a new certainty that I think our students will find and thrive and it'll probably be a better certain. But for now, it, it does feel really scary and it's angst pro producing. And we know that we have a huge mental health crisis happening as generation. I mean, the fact of the matter is we have the first generation that has a duality that we've never seen before. They've grown up with their physical self, their physical persona, and then their online self and their online persona. I mean, there's so much to unpack here on how we set up these students for success. But I do believe the most important thing is one feeling, and it's going to sound cheesy, like they belong. Okay. So the first thing is at college, you're a number, you're one of 6,000, you're shuffled through, no one knows your name. At the mix, you're part of a community, a community of all learners who share something in common. They know the world's bigger than their backyard and want to see it. They share the also the thing in common. They don't believe that the classroom is real world learning happens. They believe by doing and seeing places is what happens. So already we've created a community that is entrepreneurial just by its sake of being. We all exist to be lifelong learners. We're coming in and grabbing education that inspires us. It is a very different feel to it. And then on site, we teach everything from bias, collaboration, really important, working on teams distantly. Our students mm -hmm. already, because they're distant learners, have to learn how to organize their calendar, set KPIs for themselves. And all this is done with our mentorship. So our teachers on the ground are not physics teachers. Nope, they're not English teachers. Their teachers are, they're learning experts. We don't teach, we do learning at the mix. So while a student might be stuck on a physics problem, and as you said, learning how to learn is the most important thing because the jobs, you're right, aren't so clear. They're going to require you to wear multiple hats, a pivot to, dip, to be able to take something, transfer knowledge from one field to a, the next field. All these things will be required. So our students get that opportunity to learn those skills through actually the learning arena. So while every student is online doing their own thing, at the learning arena, they have to come in person and talk about their learning, debate it with friends to make it come alive. So our students already have an advantage. They know what it's like to work distantly. They know how to juggle their own calendar, set their own KPIs, stay in a work base without a syllabus of a teacher and showing up every day into some lecture hall. They have to learn those skills early. And I think that they will be more set for this future that you think of, that you're, you're referring to, than a traditional student. I love that. Yeah, I mean, besides the fact that I've learned a lot more about the mix, uh, I now have a massive case of FOMO. So thank you for that. Uh, I really wish that I had gone to school with you guys. But Abby, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been, uh, this has been a ton of fun. And, and I'm very uh, happy that you guys are doing this because I really do uh, feel like this is an area that needs improvement. Let people know if they're interested in you know, going to the mix or they know someone who might be interested in this, where can they go learn more? Where can they go apply? And then also, I know that before we hit record, you mentioned uh, that for listeners of this show, you have a special uh, surprise, a special uh, little gift. So what is that? And where can people go learn more about it? Yeah. So you can learn more at our website, www.the.com. T-H-E, 
mix with a Y, M-Y-X.com. The Y, because you are at the center of it. You personalize your journey. Education does not happen to you. You're not along this conveyor belt ride. You curate it and you drive it. And that's really essential to us. So we're mix with a Y.com. Uh, yes, we, I'm really excited to be on this podcast and, and because we're speaking to our people. People is all that matters, right? In our think tank, we learned that the ROI of higher ed has less to do with class and more to do with access and networks. So we take very seriously the students that we admit into the mix because they are going to be the future change makers and we have to create a community that supports learning and independent thinkers. So a someone who is a digital nomad is 100% our type of student. This is already someone who understands that the world is worth seeing. And through the world, we call one of our values as windows into mirrors. We ask students to look out the window and then reflect what that means about them, right? So when our students are in Little Havana and playing dominoes with the, with the uh, Cuban population and having these dialogues with real people from this city, they walk away after and talk about what did I learn about myself through learning about this incredible culture? So we are happy to offer $500 off of tuition to uh, any of your listeners. All they have to do is mention the podcast in their admissions interview. And just so you know, our admissions interview, we're not going to ask you about your SAT scores. We don't <laughs> care. We don't. We're data scientists. We know your SAT scores have zero actual correlation to lifetime success. So we're going to really ask you about you and your commitment to learning and growing. So just come in. My advice to all your listeners, be yourself. Be yourself and mention this podcast because we know that you are someone who truly is looking for more. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I'm I, seriously, thank you so much for offering that to people. Uh, and if anybody's interested, all of these links are going to be in the show notes. So head on over there and uh, you can just uh, find the links there. Abby, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been uh, so much fun and I look forward to uh, you know following the mix as you guys move forward. All right. Thanks, Mika. It's a pleasure.